This is Shannon Ray Davis, and you are listening to Omega Man Radio. Welcome to my world, the world of the Omega Man. Join us here for the nightly marathon, broadcasting Monday through Friday. You can find us here on YouTube, and we encourage you to report for duty. Get trained up. World of the Saints is coming. You want to be an overcomer and endure till the end. We will teach you how. We cast out devils. We command healing to the sick in Jesus' name. And we preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ to win souls for Jesus. I want to encourage you right now to subscribe right here on YouTube to this channel. Smash the like button and share a link to our live chat room to everyone you know right there on Facebook. Get them to come on out and tune in and join in the fight against the host of hell. If you'd like to support this work financially, we have a PayPal button on our website. We have GoFundMe, Zelly, even Take Bitcoin. And we thank you in advance for partnering with us. Our website is OmegaManRadio.com. One more thing before we start tonight's show. To the demons tuning in. We're coming for you, demon. No demon is safe. everybody welcome aboard this is going to be a live broadcast uh, and today's date is Thursday February 15th 2024 I'm really excited to bring back our longtime friend Harry Cooper of sharkhunters.com and uh, Harry I'm just looking at the uh, archive you're right the last show we did was September uh, so we're way overdue for a program welcome back <laughs> Thanks. It's good to be back. I thought maybe I'd join the French Foreign Legion and we're gone for five years. <laughs> if I ever um, am off air that long again, you might have to uh, plan a Asian expedition to rescue me. I could have been captured by the um, oh. the natives or something like that. So, just just saying, um, we'll get you. We'll get you. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, welcome. We're, I'm really excited to have Harry on. And uh, Harry, uh, we got a lot to catch up on. How you been since last time, my friend? Working, working, working. We've got 62 books published now, and um, we are coming out um, advertising our books internationally now. Uh, and we, after we got kicked off YouTube because we offended somebody, oh, poor snowflake, um, <laughs> we are going back on now with Rumble and BitChute and a couple of others. I uh, got a, a really nice lady who's um, with the Writers Club I belong to, and she's a computer whiz, and she's helping me out, so... Hopefully, we get back up to speed again because we have so much history locked up here. There are so many 
fairly new outfits online that are allegedly coming up with history on the German U-boats. All they're doing is copying from one another. Nobody has any original data, but we do because all the U-boat skippers, uh, well, almost all, and the surviving guys, they were all members of shark hunters. I knew them. I didn't just write to them. I've been to Germany twice a year, every year since 1988, and was was friends with all these guys, and I gave them my word that I would keep their history honest, and that's what I'm doing. So our magazine, you get our magazine. Yes, sure. Um, and your listeners... Listeners can send me an email, sharkhunters at sharkhunters.com, and say they heard the show, and I'll send them the current issue of our magazine online, no charge. Man, that's a fantastic offer. I encourage everybody to do that today. We'll give the email again later in the program, and uh, experience a magazine that's chock full of information on U-boats, World War II, uh, Third Reich, and... Um, it's really top of the line in this field here. Nobody does better than shark hunters. Um, Harry, I'm, we met in September. Does that mean you had a tour after that? When was your last tour to Germany? Were you there October? That's correct. Uh, excuse me, my tea went down wrong there. Yeah, the last week of September and the first week of October... Um, we were over there. We started in Munich, of course. We flew into Munich, and we have a really great hotel, a modern hotel, just off the airport property, and we stay there for a couple of days. Uh, the lady who's the manager, I've known her since she started out as a desk clerk in that hotel, and she's now the manager, and it's a big hotel with a couple of hundred rooms, so... I just talked to her on the phone yesterday and told her we we're coming again this year and she's rolling out the red carpet. All the managers, owners, whatever, of the hotels we stay at are all friends. These are not just hotels where we book rooms. These are friends of ours and they just jump through hoops for us. They're just awesome people. So we start out in Munich uh, and the tour this year, the patrol, is going to be similar, but we're going to add a few things this year. But last year, we, after we got settled into the hotel, the next day went went for lunch at the Hofbrau House. Does anybody know what is the Hofbrau House? It is the, I'm pronouncing it wrong probably, but it is the most famous tavern in the world. This is where Hitler used to have his meetings on the third floor because they could seat up to 800 people there and that's when he was climbing the political ladder in the early 30s that's where he had his meetings and so we (laughs) I led my group to the stairway that was going up to the third floor and there was a big sign that says Ein Gang Verboten which I always assumed meant shark hunters welcome here at least that's what I told the cops whenever they stopped me (laughs) and so this time though there were about a half a dozen really big guys about the size of Dick Butkus standing at the foot of the stairwell and they're telling me that Eingang Verboten means you can't go here okay so we went back to our table and I just 
by sheer coincidence, you know, wandered through the kitchen and out the back of the kitchen and found another stairway up to the back side of the meeting room on the third floor. So I gathered up my troops and we went up there. And next thing you know, a whole bunch of people saw, hey, we can get upstairs. So pretty soon we had a mob of people upstairs and these six guys... They come running in. Nine nine verboten. Alles aus. Alles aus. Okay, thank you. Sorry, but we got all our photographs, <laughs> and then we walked from there to Oktoberfest, which is only about a twenty-minute walk. And if you've never been to Oktoberfest, man, you're missing a lot. It's the world's biggest block party, and it covers I don't know one or two square miles I don't know I'm not sure but you got the main uh, walkway the concourse whatever you call it and on either side there are booths for beer for food for (laughs) lots of sweet cakes and my blood sugar takes a beating when I'm there and also the huge big beer tents on either side um and only the Munich brewed beers are allowed to have those tents and the the tent we were in this last time around I think they said it was the biggest one there it seats 6,000 people Wow! and everybody's jammed in there elbow to elbow and everybody's having a wonderful time a lot of most people drinking beer I drink coke because uh, I gave up drinking Many years ago, when I was scuba diving, I went knees first into a bed of fire coral. Ooh. That's another whole story. Right. But you see these big mugs they have over there. They're called a MASS, M-A-S-S. And they hold a full liter of beer, or in my case, Coca-Cola. And the food, awesome food. I have Schweinebraten. And uh, all the time... They've got a band up on a pedestal, 20, 30, 40 people, playing wonderful oompa music and trying to drown out the oompa music from the tent next door or across the walkway. And when we were there, the last, not this 2023, but prior to that, before the Kung Flu scamdemic shut down travel, the singer, a beautiful young lady, she got done singing and came down out of 6,000 people. She came down to our table, and she and I stood at the end of the table. We were singing Delilah, the old Tom Jones hit. Now, it would be nice to be an egotist and say she came down just because out of 6,000 people she wanted to be by me, but no, her brother happened to be sitting at our table. So she came down to be with her brother during the break, but she and I were singing songs. Fortunately, they couldn't hear me because I could empty a church in 30 seconds if I sing. So the next day then we go to a really great air museum where they've got incredible airplanes, um, from from the World War One, because this museum is in a World War One Bavarian Air Force training uh, airport. Now remember, in World War One, there really was no Germany. You had the Kingdom of Bavaria, the Kingdom of Prussia. They all came together uh, as the German forces. So we spend time there. Then we roll on up the road about one hour up the road 
and we check into the hotel in a town called Ingolstadt and they got a great restaurant right next door with an outdoor beer garden which is also a restaurant um, and the next day we tour some of the museums they've got ancient fortresses turned into museums one is a museum of the first world war bavarian infantry another one's the police museum and and magnificently maintained gardens outside uh, and then we go for the evening to their version of oktoberfest which they call uh, something else a city festival or something and it's a lot of the same again only on a much smaller scale um we i'm getting out of sequence now but then we go up to the castle um that had belonged to von stauffenberg you remember von stauffenberg uh otherwise known as tom cruise when they tried to blow up hitler in the uh this castle did not belong to uh, Graf von Stauffenberg, who was the colonel who tried, who put the bomb underneath the table. It belonged to his brother. Unfortunately, anybody even remotely connected with anybody who was involved in that uh, attempted assassination, they paid the price. He was tortured and tortured, making him trying to make him admit that he was part of the plot, but which he was not. And uh, so they finally, uh, they took away his children, gave them to somebody else to raise. But then after, after the end of the war, they got their children back. He died. His wife, <laughs> his wife, uh, the caretaker said, you could always find his wife. Look for the cloud of smoke. You never saw her without a heavy cigarette in her mouth, he said. And she lived well into her 90s. So we go through that castle uh, with the castle uh, caretaker, who's also a friend of ours. They have the largest private collection of weapons anywhere in Europe. And after the Allies came through and seized the, the area, only one pistol was stolen nothing else was touched everything room after room after weapons and swords uh, from medieval times up until modern time and von stauffenberg who tried to blow up hitler he was a guest there quite frequently so we're walking in history naturally we go to nuremberg the site of the party congress and we go to the uh, Congressahalla, which is built kind of like the uh, uh, stadium in Rome, the Colosseum, except that you could take the Colosseum and put it in the grassy area inside of this place and still have room left over. This place is massive. It was Hitler's plan to put all the government offices of everything in the Third Reich into this giant horseshoe-shaped building. Uh, But then as the war moved on, they had to pull the people away from building, put them in uniform, give them a rifle, and unfortunately for them, stick them on the Russian front, which was not a good place. But we tour there, um, and there's lots of places that are off-limits, 
but we are allowed to go there. And I'll tell you why in a minute. Also, the big stadium where Hitler used to come out and there'd be all sorts of people there and Hitler would come out of the door up at the top that only he could use. He'd come down to the podium and make his speeches. We go there. Anybody can go there. But nobody bothers to wonder what's inside that giant stadium building. Aha, around the back, there's another door with one of them signs that says, Ein Gang Verboten. But we can't just wander in because it's locked. However, one of our members is the assistant uh, mayor over there, and he's got the keys to everything. And we go inside, and the first thing you're inside is this huge, big reception hall with the golden swastika still in the ceiling. And we go through the whole place. Hitler's office is still there. So are many, many other offices. But there's absolutely nothing in the office. Not a door, not a door jam, not nothing. It's been, the, the wood's been used for other stuff, I guess. We tour that whole area. Back again to Ingolstadt. Once we leave Ingolstadt, we go down to southern Austria. That might change this time around because usually there had been a, a huge memorial ceremony on top of Ulrich Mountain, Ulrichberg, to honor everyone who fell in battle, no matter what uniform they wore, no matter what country they served. If they were an honorable soldier and killed in combat, they were memorialized. Unfortunately, the old guys are all gone now. So we might be doing something else. Um, we did go down, and we probably do it again this year, to the castle Miramar, which is in Trieste, which used to be Austria, uh, now Italy. But this was where Emperor Maximilian stayed for a while before he got on a boat, a ship, whatever, at that very dock that's still there, concrete, and sailed off to his new empire in Mexico. Didn't work out for him. His French troops uh, didn't do the job, and he got shot dead by a firing squad, and that was the end of the Mexican empire for Maximilian. But we toured that place, and there's a few other places we're going to uh, add in in Croatia. Magnificently beautiful Old world country, I don't think they realize it's the 21st century yet. I think they're stuck in 1940. Uh, magnificent place. So we go there. We also, um, oh, well, if, you're, if your listeners want to send me the email, like I say, sharkhunters at sharkhunters.com, I'll let them know when the pictures are up. I'm, I'm putting the pictures up on our website. There are pictures of previous websites there. Just go to sharkhunters.net. No, no, sorry, strike that, sharkhunters.com. And up in the upper menu, you'll see all sorts of stuff, but click previous tours, and they're all there. Now, and Harry, when you went over to Austria, did you get over to Berchtesgarten? And see any of the uh, the sites there, Eagles oh, Nest, God, places yes. like that. Yeah, I forgot to mention that <laughs> we spent about four days or so in Berchtesgaden, which is 
it looks like it came right off a postcard or a Christmas card. Um, and we, of course, go to the Eagle's Nest, which only the Americans call it the Eagle's Nest. Over there, it's called the Kelstein House, which means the house on Kelstein Mountain. And uh, this is where, according to the published fiction known as history, um, Hitler didn't like it, was only there twice. Well, Bologna, he, he was there a lot of times. And there was a separate room in the second level, which we, we don't go into now. We could if we wanted to, but it's all used as or a restaurant and storage now uh, but there was a separate room only for Eva Brown and her friends, her girlfriends because they weren't allowed, they didn't come up onto the main floor, the big round meeting room where Hitler met with all the whoever's and there was another room in the lower level that was only for his personal guard and 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 they weren't supposed to come up there either and depending on the weather if it's nice and balmy, uh, we sit out in the uh, yeah, it's a beer garden, but it's an outside cafe. Or if it's winter, we sit out there and we enjoy Glühwein, which is a hot, spicy wine. And if you feel tough, you can walk a hundred yards up a fairly steep walkway to a monument memorial up at the top and if you know where to look which when I'm there I pointed out the foundations for all the anti-aircraft guns are still there but they're not where you can easily see them here's that here's that sign again that says Ein Gang Verboten um, and the guy who was in command of all the defenses there on the mountain was Colonel Bernhard Frank uh, Oberst, and he was a member of Shark Hunters until he died. Amazing. Which is how we know where a lot of these things are hidden. So. That's real history. It's there. a restaurant now. Oh, it is. It is. You're walking in the footsteps of history when you come on a Shark Hunters tour. And one of our, our members who had been with us quite a while ago is a retired cop, and uh, he said he's been on a lot of. European tours, but Shark Hunters is head and shoulders above all of them because of the boots on the ground preparation. And like I say, all these hotel owners are friends of mine, um, friends of ours. I had been going to Germany two times a year, every year from 1988 onward. So I I know my way around. It's just like in my own backyard here. Now, Kelstein So we House. don't have to wonder, oh, well, where are we going or what are we doing? Is this open? Is that open? No, we've got it all laid out in advance. Now, from the Kelstein House up there, the Eagle's Nest, um, was there a route from there to a tea garden that um, Hitler would go down to every day and take a walk well, and have tea? Tea House, I'm sorry, Tea House? Right. Uh, not a direct, yeah, the Tea House, Tea House, yeah. But it's not a direct route because the... Um, Eagle's Nest is on Kelstein Mountain, and the oh, tea house is on I'm um, over Salzburg. Mountain. That's right. Okay, but D- different location. We're going to where it used to be. Also, yeah, our our guy over there, um, uh, he's a transplanted. Where the hell did he grow up? Uh, in England, but it's a 
Cornwall, Cornwall. Uh, he lives for the history of the Third Reich, so he moved to Germany. Now he's retired. If the Germans built anything in that area, Jeff knows about it and knows how to get to it. So this last patrol, we went to a, a place that's called the Deep Tunnel. First off, there probably isn't a thousand people in the whole world that even know about it. And secondly, you really got to want to go to that tunnel because it's about a mile uh, through the woods. It's it's not dangerous or, or like that, but you're up and down for a mile. And then you're on a, on a path that's only about two foot wide. And if you slip to your left, it's not like you're going to fall off a cliff, but you're going to slide down a ways before you grab a tree. So you got to watch what you're doing. And all of a sudden, there on your right, there's this eight foot by eight foot opening in the side of the mountain. So we go in there, and you can still see where the floor is chiseled out about every couple of feet to put in railroad ties. And it goes in about a half mile and makes a zig to the right and goes for about a quarter of a mile and then it stops because the war ended this was supposed to be Hitler's escape from Bavaria into Austria but the war ended and he allegedly committed suicide which he didn't but that's another whole story Um, so the, the war ended there's a hardened tunnel right in downtown the heart of Berchtesgaden where uh, Goering had his uh, treasure train hidden. It was a hardened tunnel, so it oh. couldn't get bombed. And he was getting ready to escape. Yeah, Hitler. Hitler wasn't gathering any any loot along the way, but Goering, holy cow! If it wasn't nailed down, he took it. And even if it was nailed down, he took it and everything it was nailed down too. So they caught him with I think it was two or three carloads full of silver loot and uh, all sorts of stuff made out of silver artwork plus he glommed onto a whole bunch of castles that the Third Reich overran they needed it for officers housing or whatever that brings up uh, Goering took all of them too oh yes he had a big art collection uh, airplane collection you name it now that brings up a good question he had his Mm -hmm. own train uh, Hitler also had a train, correct? And um, does anybody know what happened to the train? Does it still mm-hmm. exist? Do the Does the railway system that he would travel on still exist? What do you know about that? Interesting you should bring that up because <clears throat> I was just talking to one of our members about that last week, and we've been oh. trying to find out what happened to it. We know it was still in existence like 25 years ago. Oh, really? Because our members, uh, Bud and Stella Dana, yeah, they tracked it down. Uh, the name of the train was America, with a K instead of a C-A-M-E-R-I-K-A. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, and it was still there, and there was some, it was in Austria. This was before the EU, when Austria was a sovereign country. Um, and the guy who owned it, from what I can remember, uh, was going to make it perfectly right. And it was on, obviously, it was on a set of train tracks. Otherwise, you can't drive it down the Autobahn. Um, and he was going to start offering 
short little train rides. But all of a sudden, everything went dark. Interesting. And I don't know. But right now, we're tracking uh, uh, something else very, very critically important down in South America. So that that's where all our efforts are going right now. I want to talk about South America in a bit. If you're just joining us, welcome aboard. This is a live okay. show Thursday. And we're live with Harry Cooper. SharkHunters.com is his website if you're here for the first time. Now, Harry, back to the Eagle's Nest. Or Kelstein House, if I'm mentioning it mm-hmm. correctly. Um, we've seen the pictures of the, the big area up there around the fireplace where Hitler and the uh, staff would meet. And um, in that building, though, did I hear mm-hmm. you correctly that Hitler actually had personal quarters? So if he wanted to sleep there, he could? I... I don't words, know anything about that, and, and and I wonder if that's accurate because his his home, the Berghof, was only a short drive oh. down the road. Oh, okay. I was just thinking, you know, something that beautiful, surely he'd want to have an apartment over there, I would think. And so I just was curious. Um, you mentioned there could be and a couple floors yeah, there. I've never heard it, and I, I do this. Yeah, I do this 12 hours a day, and yes. as a matter of fact, this month is our 41st anniversary, and, and this is not a hobby. I'm, I'm at my computer by 4.30 in the morning every day and go until about 8 o'clock at night every damn day. And like I say, I've been over to Europe umpty zillion times, down to South America uh, quite a bit. So, you know, I go where the where the news is you know i have yes. i can't just say oh i read somewhere where such and such happened i go there i talk to whoever i've interviewed people who saw hitler down there in south america one of our members was a former ss captain uh hauptsturmfuhrer and he was part of hitler's personal bodyguard down there in south america so Amazing. i don't just read what somebody else wrote because they read it from somebody else, and nobody ever does boots on the ground stuff. If it ain't boots on the ground, it really ain't ain't worth looking at. Absolutely, could be just you know totally made up. Uh, so yeah, I did. I just wanted to to know if he had any um, times that you know of that maybe he stayed there the night. But if he's that close to his home, then yeah, that makes sense. He can just get back in his car and go back home. Um, what if that was attacked though? Do you think? Right. Um, Built up there on the mountaintop, do you think there could have been a potential escape route from the uh, Kelstein house? Maybe a bunker up there too. Any ever hear anything about that? I wonder if that's a possibility. Or you know, what would you do? No, no, he, no bunker up there because no uh, yeah. What would you do if they were attacking? You get on top of the hill. There's no escape. Okay, right. That's why they had the anti-aircraft guns up there. There were bunkers. Sure. Exactly. There were lots of bunkers down by his home there uh, by on, underneath, on the Obersalzberg, underneath his home, Goering's home, Bormann's home, uh, from the uh, adjutant's quarters, from Hitler's home, from the Hotel Zum Turken, and they all interconnected except, <laughs> except Bormann said absolutely not, would not allow his bunker system to connect with Goering's bunker system because they hated each other Uh, but the government of Bavaria came along 
The only thing, the one they couldn't control was the one at the Hotel Zumturken. Yes. And it, it was open to the public. You could pay two euros, 30 cents, I think. And they were the best maintained, most beautifully put together bunkers of the whole bunker system. Three, four decks down. But the government of Bavaria came through from the other side, and right at the right at the property line, they built a brick wall to where you couldn't go past there. But now I'm very sorry to say, somebody, some anonymous somebody, has bought the Hotel Zoom Turkin a few years ago. They're being very careful not to reveal who they are. They've closed it, and they've closed the bunkers. Oh, no. And they say it's permanently closed, and they don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I've got a bad feeling they're going to destroy the history. Oh, that's sad. Uh, which is sad. In the basement of the um, of the hotel, Zumturken, was the switchboard for everybody on the mountaintop. It was all Third Reich people because they took over the entire mountain. So the switchboard was there, and when Hitler was on the mountain, his private, his personal guard stayed in that hotel. There, there's this bunker system I told you about that everybody knows, everybody can go to, but there was a secret bunker that only Frau Scharfenberg, the owner, had keys to. Nobody was allowed in there, but she let me in there several times. Really? No cameras, Harry. No cameras. Leave your cell phone out here. And one time she asked me to please go into her secret bunker with a camera and take photos of everything in there. So to the best of my knowledge, we're the only people in the world that's got photos of what was in her secret bunker. Now, how then she had a couple other bunkers nobody knew about. Really? One came out of the furnace room. You had a duck walk for about 50 meters before okay. you could get into another area and stand up. Another one came out of the garage. But that's all off the table now because the place Amazing. has been bought out. Now, Harry, when you went into these bunkers that others have not been through uh, on the public tours, uh, was there anything still intact there? Or were they just empty uh, corridors and rooms? No, just empty stuff because it had been picked through by the by the GIs. As a matter of fact, there was a, a veteran of the 101st Airborne lived uh, right here in this county. And... He's the one that picked up the uh, German flag okay. off the uh, the eagle's nest. And he's a nice man, and he really believed what he was saying. He'd be going around all the uh, grammar schools here explaining the war, which was fine. And then he'd show this uh, German battle flag with the swastika on it and saying if it wasn't for us uh, – stopping Hitler, you'd be pledging allegiance to this flag. And I'm thinking, <laughs> no, you stupid shit. You know, Hitler never had intentions of conquering the world. That was part of the propaganda. He didn't start the war. The Polish did. And Churchill, we're finding some of his documents, Churchill said that they weren't against Hitler. They had to break down Germany, uh, uh, the mechanical, the manufacturing, the scientific, because Germany was way ahead of everybody else, and Churchill said they had to break that down. And he said it doesn't matter, Hitler or whoever's in charge, they have to destroy Germany. Well, you know, that brings up a good so, point. So, of course, during the war, yeah, go ahead. Well, 
you know, since our last program in September, uh, there's been a big movie that's come out. You may have seen it yourself. Uh, did you get a chance to go watch Oppenheimer? No. Why would I watch that? And, you know, the point being here is uh, they give no credit at all to really Germany being the first one to have the bomb because uh, it looks like uh, yeah, uh, Germany had probably done a couple tests. And uh, yep. didn't mention on the, the island of Rügen. Yeah, what about the submarine that um, Oppenheimer got all the enriched uranium from that was headed to Japan? Is that a correct story? We that was U two thirty four. Yeah, that was U two thirty four. And the interesting thing about it, it had five hundred sixty kilos of uranium on board, which is about twelve hundred pounds, and it was all in gla- uh, gold lined stainless steel flasks you don't put yellow cake in in that kind of environment plus it doesn't meant uh, from what i'm told it didn't mention the uh, luftwaffe lieutenant general and his staff that was on board to go to tokyo didn't mention the uh, navy judge who was going to sentence all those traitors and spies over in uh, tokyo <coughs> and he really didn't mention Dr. Heinz Schlicke, who was also on that boat, who became a member of Shark Hunters. Schlicke was the leading, the world's leading expert in infrared triggers, and that's where the U.S. was having problems with their nuclear weapons. They couldn't get all 64 of the circular-shaped charges to detonate at the exact same zillionth of a second. And after he came over, oh, incidentally, if anybody's wondering on, on my comment, that was my career field. I was special weapons, and I spent six months intensive training with nuclear and thermonuclear weapons. So anyhow, he uh, he came to the U.S. on that boat, and he disappeared. Well, it turns out he went right right out I think it was to White Sands I'm not sure but he was the one that showed them how to make the triggers he was also the world's number one expert in magnetic suppression so the submarines could be more difficult to to detect by magnetic anomalies and if you remember your history the Trinity test do you remember the Trinity test? yes sir where they put a nuclear device up on a 300-foot high tower and detonated it, and they had a, a suburb town built about five miles away, etc. He was the guy in charge of the whole damn Trinity project, a German scientist in charge of the American Trinity project. That is amazing. You know, I was he guy, dis- but he's, he, he's gone now. I was disappointed with the Oppenheimer mover, and... I wouldn't be surprised if there was not an alternative, um, <laughs> uh, excuse me, ulterior motive, that's what I'm looking for, for why they made that. Um, again, there was no credit really given to Germany. Uh, and, of course, it's never been public knowledge, uh, but it is coming out through researchers yeah. like yourself that are uncovering history. And we're finding out, you know, uh, the Germans truly had a technological advantage over us. Even the Russians did yeah, with their space program. And uh, we had a lot of catch-up to do. And, you know, we need to give credit where yep. credit is due. You know, if we took the uranium that Germany enriched, then why aren't we 
telling people that whole story, uh, you know, I, I was not impressed at all by the movie, and really just more of the uh, I've heard that the the political machinations going on there, involving uh, Oppenheimer and you know was he a uh, spy for the Russians, you know all that kind of drama. Uh, really, the most exciting part, the uh, nuclear detonation, was not very exciting to watch. I, I thought they could have done a lot better job. So. <laughs> I don't recommend it. I'd say wait for video. Yeah. Um, in the old days, I would give it a, a most, three. Most of our members, I'm, I'm sorry, most of our members who saw it have the same opinion. It was not worth the uh, price of the admission. We used to say wait for blockbusters. Now I guess you could say wait for Netflix to watch it. Um, yeah. And, and the, the sound was incredibly loud the theater was in, which I was not happy about. But at any rate, uh, folks, we're live with Harry Cooper, SharkHunters.com. True history. Now, Harry, you've been releasing a number of books here recently, a series, in fact. What are some of the books that are coming out where you're sharing some of the secrets which uh, you've been sitting on maybe for 30 years or more that were sitting in the vault, if you will? But now people have passed yeah. on, and, and you kept your promises to them that you would hold to some of this and stuff until after they were gone. Is that, a, is that how it went? And what have you been releasing there? That Tell is... That's absolutely how it went. I promised I wouldn't release anything for 25 years after they told me or uh, five years after their death. <clears throat> there is so much stuff. Um, I can just go over a little bit. One, I don't remember which one of the books has which in it, but because uh, we've got seven volumes already of uh, hidden history, hidden secrets of World War II. Amazing. And one of them, it lists all the loot that Borman brought with him or had access to oh, really? in foreign currencies in different yeah different nations um, including US dollars and British pounds plus how much he had in counterfeit British pounds how much how many tons of gold he had access to um, silver diamonds platinum and uh, also it came out to about three billion billion dollars back in those days good grief and then there was an yeah there was another one where uh during during the war uh dr mangala we know who he was um he was in in charge of uh, auschwitz which was a forced labor concentration camp nothing more and he found this 20-year-old Jewish girl that apparently was a beautiful girl and he liked her so he had her sterilized and he was using her you know how <clears throat> until then the war was over the camp was liberated he scrammed to South America fast forward to 1960 61 something like that this Jewish girl is now a nurse and she and some of her friends decided they were going to climb mountains in Argentina, in San Carlos de Bariloche. Um, and don't worry about the phone ringing, it's a mechanic. So she decided out of all of the world, they wanted to go rock climbing in San Carlos de Bariloche, which is about 700 miles southwest of Buenos Aires, which is near where Hitler was living 
until 1955. But in 1960, 61, something like that, she and some of her friends wanted to go rock climbing. By sheer coincidence, they went to a public dance. And by sheer coincidence, she comes face to face with Mangala at this dance. And again, by sheer coincidence, she and some of her friends went mountain climbing a couple of days later, and would you believe it, they fell off the side of the mountain and they was dead. Sheer coincidence. You know, that guy, Mingley, he lived reportedly to what, about 1980, 81? Maybe nobody knows for sure. It seems to be the case that beyond his published death, he may have been alive a little bit longer. What do you think? He was. I know he was because um, one of our members, we call him, uh, everybody gets a code name if they're a spook. Um, We called him Rembrandt because he was Dutch. He worked for Dutch Secret Service, and he told me on the phone, I can't remember, remember the year, but he said that his boss was in South America, Interviewing Mengele. Wow. And this was a year after Mengele's alleged death. And okay, fine. I said, good. Um, his boss had got back. I said, I sure would like a copy of that tape. He said, okay, I'll get you a copy and send it off to you. Well, his boss told him, uh uh-uh. uh, <laughs> not a prayer. <laughs> so I never got that tape. However, I did see short clips of the film of uh, Mengele. In a uh, in a restaurant, Mengele was working on Borman because uh, Borman was uh, hit, stricken with stomach cancer, and back in those days, cancer was you're done, didn't have anything left. Right. Thank God, it's different now. My wife had uh, ovarian cancer oh. about ten years ago, and that was ninety five percent fatal. I didn't know it at the time. She was in Moffitt Cancer Center here in Florida. Just an incredible place. God's on staff there. Um, And she walked out of that hospital 10 days later, cancer-free. They took a chunk almost the size of my hand. Wow. Off her ovaries. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. She walked out of the hospital cancer-free. Because it kills a lot of people. She's still in great shape physically, thank God. Yes. But um, Borman was dying of uh, stomach cancer. Excuse me. And Mengele was treating him. Borman died in South America. Unlike the published history that he got killed in a firefight on, what, the 30th of April, something like that. Right. In Berlin. And they dug where he was supposedly buried, and there was nothing there. And then some decades later, somebody said, well, let's try again. So they dug again. Oh, looky, here we got Borman's skeleton. And they did DNA, and they found out, yep, it definitely was Borman. But they couldn't explain the red Paraguayan clay that was in all the little nooks and crannies of his bones. What day and I've do been you... to Paraguay. The whole country is made out of red clay. Yes. How long do you think... Um... Borman actually survived after succumbing to the stomach cancer. Because at one point, as you mentioned, Mingley's down there trying to help him. Uh, they're in Paraguay. Uh, what, out right. in, like, Hohenhau? Is that, am I remembering that correctly? One of those uh, 
locations out oh, there. Oh, you are indeed, Hohenau. That was in, uh, yeah, that was, uh, the, right, that was up in Paraguay. Hohenau, which is a German word. When was Mingle down there? What, about 1962? And when I was there. 62 or so? Uh, or the oh, he he got down, he got down to, well, he got down to South America right after the war ended, at like forty seven, I think. Right. Um, and he moved around a lot, but his his main base of operation was in a place called the Tyrol House, and I was there, and a beautiful, magnificent place, all brick lots of gardens and flowers and stuff three different levels but it wasn't first floor second floor third floor there was one whole uh, single floor facility here and then you go down some steps there's another one you go over here there's a third one and um, <coughs> this nice lady I met um, I'll tell you what let this be a cliffhanger while I go refill my tea team up can we do that let's do it we're going to take a five minute break or so and uh, come back with more from harry cooper of shark hunters you just sit that headset down and uh, take your break my friend uh folks um sharkhunters.com they have been on the trail of true history for decades now harry has been on so many expeditions into um, south america place like Paraguay, Brazil, Argentina, of course, Germany. He's crisscrossed that whole place. They've been to places that are not even accessible now and gotten the film to prove it. And you can get access to many of these uh, videos. He's got a large archive, a number of books written on this subject, uh, a trilogy on you know, the search for Hitler. And it's so sad that this information has been suppressed. The story of Hitler, as we're taught in school, ends in the bunker in '45, with him and Eva Braun supposedly committing suicide, but it doesn't happen that way. In fact, uh, later on, the skull fragments that were believed to be of Hitler held in the archives of the KGB by the Russians were opened up to an American forensic uh, specialist who got in there, was given an hour to examine it in the sofa that supposedly had uh, bloodstains of Hitler's suicide attempt. And he examined them all. And the DNA showed the fragment was not of a man. It was a woman. There was no bodies found. They did find doppelgangers, though. Hitler apparently had up to a dozen or more, as I recall, doppelgangers, people that were body doubles. Somebody didn't come home that night for lunch. <laughs> that had to report for duty. They ended up in a ditch. But Hitler got out of there. Uh, over 10,000 high-ranking members of the Third Reich got out. And Mengele is one of the most famous ones. We're talking about him now. Martin Bormann, the number two man, the secretary, if you will. Uh, not as a stenographer, he didn't like, you know, he wasn't the personal secretary, as you might envision a secretary that types letters, administrative secretary, but no, he was the number two in command of the Third Reich. Uh, In the background, a man of great power, and he had the keys of the kingdom, and he anticipated the fall of Berlin to the Allies and the Russians, 
and for several years prior to 45 they were preparing to uh, get uh, IP out of there, intellectual property, smuggled art, treasures, loot, booty, and reposition it for a comeback at a later date. And uh, there was an escape plan launched. Hitler gets out. Ava Braun gets out. She lived apparently into her 90s. Uh, died by all estimates uh, after somewhere in the 2000s. I've heard several reports on this. Can you imagine that? Only 20 years ago she passed away. And when Harry gets back, we'll get some more details. Uh, he's a walking encyclopedia of this. But to think that um, the story is much different than we were told. Why have we always been lied to? JFK, we were lied to. We've been lied to over and over again. We're being lied to about the Nord Stream pipeline, current history. The lies of the government and the media continue to propagate today in 2024. Uh, I've heard a statistic, Harry, that only 15% of real history we've ever been told. The rest has been classified, suppressed to the general public, which is very sad. And, um, you know, back to Mingley, though, and yeah, I want to ask you. He goes down to uh, Paraguay to see if he can help Borman, who's got stomach cancer. Uh, what kind of timeline do you put on this? Was this, what, like ni- early 1960s, where he visited in Elling Borman? Well, he, he didn't go down there just to help Borman. He went down there to save his save his butt because they would have hanged him if they'd have oh. caught him. But when Borman started having problems with the stomach cancer, um, Mangala was helping him. Borman had a little house way up. Oh, boy, I'm trying to go by memory. Up in the TBA, tri-border area, which is where a finger of Argentina sticks up between Paraguay and uh, Brazil. And... Um, We've got pictures of his house, and we've been planning to go there, but then along came the Kung flu scamdemic. Yes. And before anybody calls you and says, hey, Cooper's full of you-know-what, because it was real. Yes, it was real. Uh, January of 2022, as you know, they were ready to put a tag on my toe. I laid in bed for two weeks and didn't move, didn't eat, drink, pee, or poop. I just laid there growing a beard and losing weight so finally my wife called my VA doctor and he says get him to the hospital and they were ready to put a tag on my toe um, so it's real but all the goofy stuff that goes around you know gotta wear a mask get a jab right. we never got a jab here Smart. and thanks to our great governor we didn't have to wear masks good for him he was about the only guy that had Say again? I'm glad uh, for DeSantis he was uh one of the few that, you know, uh, was not going along with the party line of uh, Big Pharma. Um, yeah. So, yeah. B- Borman and Mingley link up there. What was that, like early 60s? What do you think? No, 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 because I think Borman uh, didn't make it to the 60s. It was earlier than that in the late 50s. Okay. And incidentally, uh, before I forget it, this uh, where, where Borman had his his house or uh, Borman or no uh, by Mengele's place uh, 85% of the children in that town were identical twins now did I hear correctly that heck of a um, statistic that Mengele actually operated for a time a abortion clinic and was practicing until 
some lady died in the process and um, it put a stop to his uh, clinic and he had to flee. Is that a true story? I never heard that one. Yeah, I'd heard he was practicing. The only one we did know about. Yeah, he was practicing, but I don't, I never heard of him practicing abortion. That's pretty much against, you know, the Christian faith. And these guys were, almost all of them were uh, practicing Roman Catholics. Uh, Hitler was, he was raised in the church. He sang in the church choir. I was in the church where he sang in the choir. Um, I think he uh, but, uh, he probably continued to do his experiments. As you mentioned, a lot of uh, twins in some of these locations. Yeah. But he's not able to save Borman, and so uh, Borman expired down there in Paraguay. Maybe, what, 58? I don't know. F- 58. 58. 58 okay. is what we believe. Okay. So they buried him there. Everything points that way. That would have been the end of Borman, yep. but not the end of his legacy. Who do you think got all the money in the loot? Do you think uh, Perón and Evita got some of it? Oh, they got most of it. She was, uh, well, first off, when I first went down there in 2008, it was against the law to even mention the name Perón. Uh, but now they're referring to her as Santa Evita, Saint Evita. Oh. And she was how do I say this nicely? We'll just say it. She was a hooker. And <laughs> when she went to... You're trying to say something. No, I was laughing. I was giggling at it. That's what she did. He married a harlot. Oh, okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. You didn't know that? Oh, no, I knew she that. She was his second wife. I know nothing about his first wife, but his yeah. second wife and his last wife, Isabelita, was also a hooker. Now that's They the said one- she was a table dancer. Isabelita is the one, the famous photo, I think, 1974, so she's doing a Nazi salute at one of the uh, rallies. Um, Yep. This brings up a good question. Yep. Uh, Since the last program we did, you released an article on uh, more of what you'll have found out actually happened to the body of uh, Evita Mm -hmm. and her, I think, her missing hand or missing finger. Give us an update. What do you all know on where she reposes right now? (laughs) It wasn't uh, the body of Evita. It was the bodies, plural, oh. of Evita. When she died, well, first, let me let me step back a second, because uh, in 1947, she went to Europe on her famous rainbow tour. Everybody was rolling out the red carpet for Evita because Argentina, although everybody knew Argentina was very, very pro-Nazi, uh, they were forced under tremendous pressure from the United States to declare war against Germany, which they did two weeks before the end of the war, uh, or at least the, the European war. And so when when she went over to Europe in 1947, uh, she just somehow managed to maneuver a whole lot of money, and we're talking seven figures, eight figures, out of Borman held accounts into Peron accounts and she had a bodyguard a guy by the name of Scorzini you know that name oh yes Otto he's a big dude special forces he was a big guy and that's why he couldn't be a fighter pilot 
This guy... He uh, wanted to be a fighter pilot, but he was too big to get in the cockpit. I think he lived in late 70s, early 80s, and uh, was involved in uh, intelligence community. He was uh, he worked for Hitler directly, didn't he, at some points? In fact, um, he's the guy that helped rescue Mussolini. Well, yeah, absolutely, Mussolini. and he's the guy that rescued Mussolini. Right. That's right. Right. He's, he's also the guy... <laughs> we're, this is just now coming out. He's also the guy who was banging Evita. <laughs> wow. They became lovers. And after she got stricken with the cancer, she had, uh, what the heck kind of cancer was it? Uh, and anyhow, she uh, naturally was losing weight. Cancer does that to you, I guess. Um, Perron said he didn't want anything more to do with that, quote, bag of bones. But uh, Scorzini stayed her lover for a while now as to her remains um, she was not embalmed like people are nowadays she was treated by a taxidermist so she looked to be alive and sleeping and I was in the little room where the procedure was performed the instruments are still there. It's a little room about, oh, maybe 12 foot by 12 foot. But it's right off of the main rotunda area in this one building where her body lay in state up until the 1955 um, revolution that uh, kicked Perón out of power and her body was moved to a suburb of Milano in Italy and buried under the name of uh, Maria Magi. Okay. And our member Aldo, who lives over there, he believes that her body was never returned back to South America because after Perón came back and took power, he had the body brought back and set up in state. But Aldo believes that was one of the other bodies because we believe there were two other duplicates made. So there's an original and two duplicates. Well, where is she? We don't know. Uh, they're about to dig up that grave over in Milano, not because of finding uh, Evita or whoever, but because that little tiny cemetery, and I've been in it. There's pictures of it on my website. Uh, the cemetery has been sold and they're going to do some maybe build houses apartments I, I have no idea what they're going to do but it's been sold and so they're moving the bodies uh, to another cemetery or to other cemeteries and he's just waiting for them to dig up uh, Maria Magi who by all in the, the words should be an empty grave because if that was Evita and they brought her back to Argentina the grave should be empty Aldo believes they're going to find another Evita in there but they so the fingers missing yes, yes there's a yes hmm? speak to the missing fingers uh, what's going on there someone went in there and clicked okay. somebody we went have in. a picture of her with the missing finger Okay. Fingers. Uh, and also, about the same time, somebody broke into Pierron's tomb and took his hands. Wow. Oh, that's pretty sick souvenirs, you think? 
Yeah, but we don't think it was souvenirs at all. We think somebody needed to open bank accounts with fingerprints. You know, speaking of missing hands, haven't got any proof yet. Somebody, I think, cut off Che Guevara's hands too. They went; they were missing. Um, what is it about these hands? Do you think they? Oh, need absolutely. The, they need the fingerprint. Got, Go ahead. Well, to, uh, fingerprints to prove that one. I know about Che Guevara too. He was chased down by CIA-led uh, partisans down there. Yes, and he was sick. He was in a sick bed in some hut. Where was it? Bolivia, I think it was. I'm not sure. And um, so the CIA guy was right on hand with the local army. Yeah. And um, he said it wouldn't be right for the CIA to kill him. So he sent them soldiers in. And allegedly, Che Guevara said something about, okay, so now you're going to be a hero and you're going to kill a, a freedom fighter or something along those lines. So they shot him dead. The, the local army and then the CIA guy came and cut off his hands and sent them to DC for fingerprint confirmation that they really did get Che Guevara and at my <laughs> at my American Legion post I autographed the big sign that uh, said it was the uh, Hanoi Jane Memorial Urinal and I signed right next to the guy who had cut off Che Guevara's hands. Wow. You know, so you actually met the guy. Amazing. That's amazing. I, yeah, the guy who cut off the hands, yeah. One of the guys... And I didn't even know it until many years ago that Che Guevara was a, actually a doctor. And yeah, not he, even a Cuban. He was an Argentinian. That's right. He was going to medical school, dropped out, and I think took a motorcycle ride. And then, uh, you know, he began his life uh, he was over in Africa uh, trying to turn that country mm-hmm. into a communist state and then that failed he had to come back from there and then you know he worked over there in uh, Cuba with Fidel got too powerful and then they split mm-hmm. split yeah. ways and then uh, you know I heard a story that one of the I think one of the uh, Third Reich Gestapo was used after the war one of the guys uh that the Americans used to um, hunt down Che Guevara. I don't know who the guy's name is off the top of my head. Did you hear that story? Um, no, no. I don't know if it was the guy that was That's involved. That's not in my direct line of expertise. Okay. So I just was curious, uh, but if you had any updates on that, but that's very interesting no. uh, with regards to Vita. But back to Martin Borman before the break. So... Martin dies, okay. and then um, Mingale, what do you put his death at? Probably 81, 82? He lived beyond the official uh, uh, death date where they said he had a heart attack on the beach <laughs> in Brazil, his... right? So many of those guys from the Third Reich outlived their own death. Hitler, Kamler, Mangala, uh, Bormann. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, it was... About three years after his reported death that he finally did die, um, we were at, the, as I say, this place called the uh, Tyrol in Paraguay, and this nice old lady was there, and she showed me room 26 was Mengele's room when he was by himself. It was a single, uh, it was a double bed, but just one bed, or room 28 
if he was traveling with friends, which I imagine was bodyguards, it had a double bed and three single beds. And way back when, uh, shortly after uh, Eichmann was kidnapped, he wasn't captured, he was kidnapped, and taken to uh, Israel, you know, the man in the uh, glass booth or whatever the hell they call it, uh, maybe they thought they were going to be flushed with success. So very shortly after the um, Eichmann situation, a group, I think it was six, I'm not sure yet, a group of Mossad guys came into this Tyrol place, and the owner of the place was shoving... Mangala out the window into the jungle in his underwear and this place is surrounded on three sides by heavy jungle Good there right. are pictures of it on my website also beautiful beautiful place and uh, so these uh, Mossad guys wound up uh, with their throats slashed and their bodies dumped in the jungle didn't work out for them yeah they got whacked but when I talked to this little old lady uh, yeah, they got their throats slashed. That, that's not a good ending to your life. Of course, I can't think of any good ending because that's why I ain't going to die for a while. But anyhow, um, nice old lady I talked to there said that, you know, she asked what I was doing, and I said, here on this phase, we're following the footsteps of Mangala, talking to people, etc. And she knew him. She turned up her nose. She says, I didn't like him. He saved the lives of many people here, but I didn't like him. And then I showed her a copy of my book of Hitler in Argentina, which has a picture of Hitler, Eva Brown uh, on the front cover, etc. You've seen the book. Yes, sir. And, oh, she just melted. Yeah, she melted. She says, oh, Defure, what a wonderful man. I met him. And they used to come to this Tyrol place for meetings. Wow. Hitler, Bormann, Mengele. And also Stroessner. Remember Stroessner? Oh, yes. The, uh, from um, Power? Yeah. Paraguay. Yes. The, That's uh, right. He came from Germany originally, but then he became the uh, dictator in Paraguay. His son is still one of the uh, big shots down there, but this lady saw them all in meetings down there. She showed me the meeting room. She let me in. <clears throat> I mean, it's a big empty room, so what can you do? But then I went into the uh, service room where they had all the fuse uh, blocks and everything and these were all 1930s type German fuses in there amazing you know what's interesting speaking of dictatorships and uh, their progeny um, if I'm not mistaken the uh, the current president of Philippines was uh, Marcos's son and um, okay I, I don't know you know you know the uh, Philip um uh, President Marcos and Imelda Marcos, the lady had the most shoes in the world, like 2,000 pairs. <laughs> 3,000 pairs, yeah, I read that. They went into exile, you know, um, and then I think that uh, his son has just won the election a year or two ago. Now, over in Nicaragua, you got Ortega and his wife from the um, uh, the Contra, Day, Contra Wars, and um, right. Indonesia has just had an I election. I talked to Oliver North about that. Oh, oh, you you actually got to talk to Oliver North, really? Wow. Yeah, I met him, but that was a long, 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 long time ago. 
I've got an Oliver North story. Did I ever tell you? No. It was um, 1989 to 96. I was living up in Alexandria, Virginia. I worked for Department of Defense as a civilian. It was a great job. I was only 20 when I got a job working for the government. And I needed it because I needed wow. some health care. I had a baby on you know, on the way and uh, no insurance. But uh-huh. uh, they grandfathered me in and I got my medicals paid for. And uh, it was a great job, great working great people. But um, I, when I turned 21, I got my federal firearms license, my FFL. And that's the... Uh, oh, that's right. That's right. You're a, a class three dealer. I, I was. Not anymore because I, I'm okay. overseas now. But... Um, I was 21, got my FFL license, living in the city of Alexandria, and um, I began to run some ads in Shotgun News. I'll beat anybody's price for $25 over dealer cost, right on the front page with a picture of an Uzi. And I would get all kinds of calls. And, you know, I was too poor at that time to, um, and still am actually now, but uh, too poor at that time to buy any... um, the, the cool guns that I saw in the catalogs, but I had some clientele. One of them was an attorney named Steve Firestone, and he would order something about every month, and it, and I would get to you know examine it and check it in my my ATF log, and uh, he always ordered right. cool stuff, and there would be like XCI agents that would come in. I had one guy that came in, a distinguished man in his seventies with gray hair and a jumpsuit, tall dude, and he uh, he ordered a Beretta twenty two uh, pistol. And little tiny mm-hmm. uh, gun he could fit in the palm of his hand. And I said, uh, you know, you could order any gun. Why this? And he said, uh, do you know what the favorite weapon of uh, the Mossad are when they assassinate people? He said, it's a twenty-two. They'll follow the target to the 22. door. And then two guys will get up and they'll both put a, a twenty-two round in the head. And uh, I thought that was right. interesting. And so fast forward. Twenty-two uh, shorts. Yeah. Now, I... I'm not sure if my memory has served me correctly because it's been, you know, a long time ago, 30 years. But I want to think he told me they also had some type of rubber bushings in the gun to silence it. I don't know. Is that impossible? But I would have thought they would have had a screw-on silencer. But at any rate, where Oliver North That's comes That's the only in, silencer I ever heard of. Right. Um, so, of course, as you've got to fill out the Form 4473 that every... Um, purchaser of a gun legally through a, a gun store will do he had to put his occupation and said retired cia so it was kind of cool to meet this guy but uh, fast forward oliver north um i decided i want to get a, a concealed weapons permit and at that time there was no law in the books for the concealed permit other than you had to you know make application to the local uh judge circuit court okay. judge and um there was no precedent that, you know, they're just automatically going to grant it. The judge can say yes or no, and if he says no, you're just screwed. At that time, there was a lot of uh, news about guns hitting the streets of D.C. and, you know, a lot of negative press. And so mm-hmm. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to capital, I'm, I'm going to uh, emphasize that in my letter to the judge on why I think I need a concealed permit. And I said, you know, look, I'm a gun dealer. Sometimes I have to take large sums of cash mm-hmm. to the ATM. And uh, I could be a target mm-hmm. for for drug dealers who want to hit me, take my what I got, and then it'll end up on the streets of D.C. <laughs> mm-hmm. Lo and behold, yeah. a week later, I got a, a signed uh, letter of the judge with his stamp saying, you're approved. 
and they issued me a oh, little nice. card, and I had a concealed weapons permit. Now, while this is interesting, this is probably, let's say, 91. I told my friend, Steve Firestone, the attorney at the time, who was one of my best customers, I said, hey, Steve, I got a concealed weapons permit. He said, no way. Let me see it. He said, do you know mm-hmm. that you and Oliver North are the only two that have one in the whole uh, northern Virginia area? An official civilian concealed weapons permit. And he said, uh, and wow. by the way, they revoked Oliver North. So I was the only one for a while. And um, all I could afford was a 25 ACP Raven that you could buy for $33. <laughs> one of those oh, yeah. chrome Saturday jobs. night specials. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I would carry that. And so I had this little holster. And one day I'm in, I'm in, I'm driving a AMC Matador. I called it the banana boat. It was a big yellow. I remember yellow. them. I bought it from my grandfather, who had bought it from a lady who went to his church. And it was a big yellow Matador, automatic, but it was nice. And, uh, yeah, they looked like an upside-down fishbowl. Exactly. And a T-handle for the shifter. And so <laughs> I was High over tech. there in, uh, in going towards the mall and a lot of traffic. And I was trying to get over, and this guy wouldn't let me get over. So I did something unwise. I sh- flicked him a bird. And I hit the gas, and I moved in front of him, and I zoomed into the mall parking lot. Well, this guy decides to follow me. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm a short guy. I picked a fight. I don't know who's in that car. And uh, I just drove around, and I finally figured out, you know, he was just telling me he wasn't going to stop. So I just pulled into a parking place, and he pulls right behind me and blocks me from backing out. And I get up, and I'm thinking, man, I might have to shoot this guy. I don't want to, but who knows what this guy's about to do. Now, of course, I shouldn't have flicked him a bird, but this guy is. Why not? got me blocked in and I walked up there and the next thing you know he rolls down his window and he flashes a badge and he was a sheriff's deputy and I said oh god have mercy I'm glad I didn't flash that pistol I could have been a dead man and I said sir I'm very sorry Yeah, I, I apologize I, I'm sorry and he said okay and he looked at me and he drove off and man I was sweating bullets there for a minute I didn't know what may go down and I didn't want to go down with that guy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but that's a true story. I had a concealed <laughs> permit for a while. Now, then they passed the law in Fairfax yeah. County. Anybody could get one unless, you know, they could adjudicate you as mentally, you know, incapacitated right. or, you know, felony. But um, Oliver North. Folks, we're live with Harry Cooper, SharkHunters.com. Harry, um, this is an interesting fact. I just looked up. Um, do you remember the movies that came out? called the Odessa file and the boys from Brazil <laughs> you bet I do two great movies I know actually. a lot about that stuff yeah two great movies and you know the Odessa file I think I looked it up it was 1974 and I think the boys from the Brazil like 1978 with Gregory Peck well Star Wars came out yeah, in 1977. the only thing wrong with that one I think Gregory Peck was not the right guy they should have cast as uh uh what the heck's his name? The, the Simon Wiesenthal. It, 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 he was not the right guy. But anyhow, awesome, awesome movie. And I can tell you more about that when we get rolling here. Go ahead. So these two movies came out uh, before the death of Mingle. He was alive to at least 80 or 81. In fact, Star Wars came mm-hmm. out in 77. Could you imagine? 
I wonder if Mingale actually saw the boys from Brazil or any of these guys that were still alive saw Odessa file. What do you think? Uh, I have no way of knowing, but uh, Odessa, I don't, I don't, I saw the movie, but it was a million years ago. Uh, Odessa is is an acronym from German uh, organization, uh, der SS, whatever. Um, and they have a branch called the Spinner, the spider web. And both Odessa and the Spinner are still going today. One of our members is wow high up the list in the Spinner. Amazing. Now, so, what is, what and is the other one? Um, say again. What does the Spinner translated from German to English stand for? Spider or the spider web. Spider web. Now, uh, Odessa and the Spinner. What can you tell us about this? These are actual organizations. Uh, what was their purpose then, and what do you yeah. think they're doing now? I don't remember. <laughs> so they would. Let's talk about boys from Brazil. Yes. What can you say about Go boys ahead. from Brazil? Now that's uh, a movie featuring uh, experiments by Mingale on twins and um, uh, that they right. uh, and cloning and clo- yeah, cloning. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, that was the that was the main theme of the movie that this one kid was cloned from Hitler. Um, now whether that is fact or not, I personally believe yes, it is possible. Whether that particular story is true, that anybody's guess. But the when when you'd see Gregory Peck uh, as the uh, Simon Wiesenthal character or whatever he was called in the movie whenever he'd go back to his old laboratory you'd see the broken down buildings they exist they're there it's not a movie set it's way up the uh, I think up the Orinoco River uh, or where the Orinoco and the Amazon come together Yes, Henry Ford the wealthiest man in the world at that time uh was tired of paying high prices to get rubber brought over from what? India, I guess, wherever it came from. And he had an entire village built in New England and then taken apart, loaded on ships, sent down and then up the river, rebuilt up there to air, uh, land that he owned, umpty gazillion acres, rebuilt and You just went mute, Harry. Oh, wait, there we go. We're getting him back. Hold on. Stand by, folks. We lost Harry. Let me do a sound check out there. Folks, we still have audio. Audio on MixLR. Okay, hold on a minute. Let's try Harry back. Harry. Hello, hello. Okay. Did I lose you? Just for a minute. Um, tell you where we left off. Henry Ford has decided to start his own rubber plantation over there in, um, was this Paraguay or Brazil? Brazil. Up and the so, river. I think it was up the Orinoco River, or by, by where the Orinoco uh, and the Amazon come together, something like that. But he built this whole village in New England, took it all apart, 
and then sent it by ship down there and then up the river and they rebuilt this village and he he was going to be uh, extracting his own rubber out of the trees there and uh, not buying it from wherever you got it before I guess uh, Burma or, or whatever right uh, but two things ha- happened to, to torpedo his project one the Brazilian natives weren't really happy about living like New Englanders and secondly uh, artificial rubber which was the Buna project came online right around then so synthetic rubber was quicker cheaper and easier to get than natural rubber so he just walked away that whole complex is still down there amazing and I wanted to go down and and research the hell out of it unfortunately our angel died we had an angel a guy named Jack Goodyear God rest him every time he'd hear a story about something down in South America hey Harry have you heard about this I'd, no I don't I'd check it out I'd research it and I'd tell him okay this is what I found he's okay watch your mail there'll be a check for X number of thousands of dollars go down and check it out wow okay that's it's amazing a great man yes and we had one other one other angel who was similar unfortunately he's dead now too have you ever eaten Entenman's cupcakes Entenman's cookies oh Charlie Entenman was a member of Shark Hunters amazing and I'll tell you that's pretty cool um, yeah but they, they're both long since now dead so these places existed and um, we're talking about uh, Mingley we talked about Borman um, oh I, let me ask you this while we're on still on the subject Martin Borman, how do you think he actually got out of uh, Germany over to Argentina to begin with? Did he go over on a U-boat, or would he have flown over there? No, according to our book, Hitler in Argentina, he escaped overland to Spain, where our friend, member, Don Angel Alcazar de Velasco was living, and Don Angel was a spook working for the Abwehr, the German spy service, and he actually worked in the Führer bunker the last few months of the war, and every day he had a uh, he had a report he had to give to Hitler, so he knew Hitler, not best buddies, but I mean he knew him because he had to report to him every day. Well, when uh, when the shit hit the fan and everything fell apart, Don Angel moved back to Spain and one day, one of his uh, Abwehr contacts brought Martin Borman there, and he said uh, he would like to introduce you to Herr Fleischmann. And uh, Herr Fleischmann wants to move to Argentina, and he needs Don Angel to teach him the Argentine Spanish, because just about every major country that speaks Spanish has its own version. And so... Uh, away they went uh, and they were they had a residence in a, a castle I believe in Spain this is all in my book Hitler in Argentina and so anyhow uh, when the guy left and uh, Borman was in the room with uh, Don Angel Borman says uh, do you recognize me and Don Angel said yes of course I do Herr Borman 
because they knew each other from the bunker. And later on, the uh, the host came back, and he had some suspicions. He says, uh, who really is Herr Fleischmann? And uh, Don Angel said, who should he be but Herr Fleischmann? And they fled, and it's all in this book. Um, they went <laughs> They went out at night from Vigo, Spain, uh, no, it's uh, Villa Garcia, Villa Garcia which is up the river from Vigo and they went out in a boat that uh, Borman didn't think was going to make it 10 10 meters offshore because the thing was an old beat up boat but anyhow they went out bingity 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 out into a certain spot in the bay and then they just stopped and suddenly he said there was all this commotion the sea was bubbling and boiling and up comes a U-boat and so they loaded uh, Borman and Don Angel and a couple others on board this U-boat and they were confined to the bow room and away they went and they went all the way down to a place called Puerto Coig which is as far south as you can go just about in Argentina on the Patagonian coast and according to Don Angel which is all in my book uh, they came up near shore and there were a few cars and people standing on the beach (coughs) and uh, they paddled ashore and these people took them to where they were going the captain of the U-boat said they were going to take the boat up to a spot south of uh, Buenos Aires I'm picking my words carefully here and they were going to go up there and be close to shore put most of the crew ashore and then take with a skeleton crew go just offshore and pull the plug off uh, the area of Nacochea well guess what some of our people have just found We got a great picture of a periscope underwater in the magazine two two issues ago, and I can't say any more about it than that. This is amazing. Uh, we're live with Harry Cooper of Shortcutters.com. Harry Mormon um, went over to Argentina. Hitler was there. He stayed at Anoco. Yep. And. Um, Moving on, um, here's a million-dollar question. In all the research you've done and come across, where is Hitler today? What happened to him? Was he buried? Was he uh, cremated and his ashes sprinkled uh, along the shore line of some place out there? Um, what do you think has actually happened to him? Some said he's buried in a crypt uh, underground in a hotel over there in Paraguay or Uruguay. What do you think the truth is on it? How's your weather there in Bali? <laughs> now you have you have given some details, general details, in one of the magazines. So it's not yeah. like uh, yeah, general. You haven't, you haven't broached he's the issue not before, un- but he's not under a slab in the Grand Hotel. He's not under a slab in the Great Cathedral in Asuncion. That's the one we know where he is. Yep, in a crypt. In a crypt. So they didn't cremate With his body. Twelve black marble. Yeah, 
Wow. 12 black marble pillars, because 12 was a very important number to the Third Reich, not only because there were 12 disciples of Christ, 12 knights at a round table, but one of our members, uh, Agent Nemo, gave us pages and pages and pages of stuff why 12 was important to this and that and those people. So to the Third Reich, they liked the number 12 also. So there are 12 black marble columns, and each one has a solid gold eagle on top. The 12 eagles comes to about 40 tons of gold, which was brought over during Operation Valkyrie, Valkyrie Two not the one where Tom Cruise tried to blow up Adolf Hitler. <clears throat> this was coming on some big boats after, and it's not easy to get there, and the place, last I heard from our agent Pizarro, the place was still guarded by SS and sons and grandsons of SS. Wow. And if somebody shows up, it's it's incredibly remote, and right after I was told about this, a week or two later, he called me up and was bitching me out. You promised you wouldn't tell anybody. I said, I haven't told anybody. Said, what are those mountain climbers doing near the crypt? I said, I have no idea. They're not part of us. And then he said, well, that's okay. They won't be there tomorrow. Wow. Do you think this is a tie-in to um, the crypt they had over there in Vadelsburg Castle? Would it be something similar to that? <laughs> Where they took no. all the um, dead SS officers' rings and they put them in a box down there in that crypt and they had the 12, um, I guess, pillars down there too, right? No, they had 12, um, what would you call them? They're, they're things that stick out of the wall, podiums or something, where the, the ashes of the 12 fallen Obergruppenführer were going to be put. I've been in that crypt. I was in that crypt before it was open to the public. You know, that sign says, Ein Gang Verboten means yes. Harry's welcome here. Uh, you get into that crypt and you stand in the center and your slightest whisper thunders back off the walls because it's got a big dome ceiling and it's all rock and there are 12 slit windows and but now they've got it so messed up. Um, they've got ugly paintings hanging between the the windows which I don't think means anything and then on the level above it they had what people call a 12-legged swastika which is actually the sonnenblum which is the sunburst and nobody was supposed to be able to step on that or nothing well now they got beanbag chairs and they let little kids play up there and you can't just walk into the crypt you got to go through a museum that takes you two hours and all the displays on how mean the Germans were to a certain group of people so no it's not like that at all totally different it's a, it's a lot like the crypt Franco had been buried in until just recently okay so Hitler Hitler survives till what about 1962 what or 64 what, what, what do you put on that 1962 the, uh, the 13th of February and when he died he was buried uh, where do you think he resides at now you, did you put it at Bolivia somewhere in terms of just a overall geographical location, or would he still be there in Argentina? Somewhere, uh, somewhere south of me here in Florida. <laughs> somewhere south. Well, let me change subjects then. Uh, moving on to Abel Braun. <laughs> yeah, uh, this one ain't going anywhere. Abel Braun now. 
she lives uh, reportedly by some to like 2002 or three. What do you, what do you what is your file show on Ava Braun? Uh, she was a young lady when he married her. That's right. Uh, 2002, we are convinced she was still alive, which, no big deal. Oh, God, 2002, no, no. Well, she would have only been 90 years old. Right. And what the hell, my grandparents were 90. My great-grandmother, 104. Yeah, so people lived to 90. Yes. We hear rumors about her living to 2012 in an assisted living area, but that we have absolutely zero proof of. Just speculation, probably. And um, in terms of her surviving, uh, does anybody know where she's buried, or if her and Hitler actually had children? It was, I think, reported potentially that rumored that they had maybe two together. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, two. You got two questions there. Where is she buried there? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea what happened to Evita or uh, to Ava Brown. As to kids, everybody, every dumbass theorist has an idea. Oh, yeah, we know this one. We know that one. No, we don't know nothing about Hitler's children, yes or no. I do know that when Don Angel was still working for the Reich and he was based in Mexico City, part of his job was to keep track of two children a boy named Adolfo and a girl named Stern which is the German word for star living in Las Cruces New Mexico going to school there and taking pictures of them keeping track of notes on when they grew up and then he was ordered down in 1952 to Inalco now in my book he I quote him he said he went down he believed it was Antarctica no, either he was totally in error or it was a deliberate uh, bad clue. He went to Inalco. He met with Hitler. Hitler looked at the pictures that he took and read the reports, and that was it. Were they Hitler's kids? Oh, people say, oh, it has to be Hitler's kids. Yeah, of course. Well, we don't know. Maybe they were. Maybe they weren't. The woman, Stern, married... Um, uh, Edward Herman, the movie actor, and her name then was Star Herman, and you can Google her. She had a career, but she's dead now. I understand this this joke of a TV show, uh, Hunting Hitler. Somebody told me it opened with Hitler and his six-year-old daughter sitting on his lap or by him, and they were eating chicken. Hitler was a vegan. He didn't eat chicken. And all of a sudden it says here he is with his six-year-old daughter where where did she come from (laughs) nobody knows nothing about Hitler and Ava having children if they did if they didn't if they did how many where are they nobody knows people theorize and all they got is theories and fairy tales what about the reports that uh, Hitler was having an affair with Goebbels wife and they may he may have impregnated her any truth to that? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. Um, Holding Goebbels was his daughter. And I, I believe it was in uh, Goebbels' diary that he knew Hitler was banging his wife, but what are you going to do? Well, you so know, he's Hitler. You, you can't do anything against him. He at least, and we know, had let's one face daughter. it. Holding. <laughs> Say again? 
So at least Holding, we know he, yeah, that, yeah, that he had one. Um, did anybody? Was, yeah, one of the six kids. Now, did were you able to follow the trail of uh, Holdine and what happened to her? Yep, that's another whole ball game. She, uh, if you look at the pictures of those six Goebbels kids after they were poisoned, you'll notice they were very skinny, undernourished, um, had bone deficiencies. Those were not Goebbels kids. Those were kids out of the camps. Uh, two of our members uh, live in Brazil. Uh, they're doctors. They're madly in love. He's a, an eye surgeon, a very successful apparently, and she is an obigyne. And uh, in her early days, uh, the the lady doctor had a um, maybe she still does I don't know a free clinic for women needing you know that couldn't afford it. And this one old lady came there and um, needed you know some medical treatment, and they treated her for free, and they got to talking. And she was claiming she was Holdeen Goebbels. And so they went back to where she was living. She was living in a lean-to kind of thing made of corrugated metal, sleeping with dogs and in pretty bad shape. So they wow. finally realized she was who she said she was, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, so they took her back to the doctor's penthouse. He had a, about a three-story penthouse. That's why I say I think he's a successful a successful doctor, a three-story penthouse overlooking the city. Uh, they cleaned her up. They gave her all the medical help, bought her clothes, and got her story. She kept a diary. Shannon, this diary, hand-done. Everything in there was hand-done by her. There's a drawing of her and her mother and Dr. Carl Varnett by an airplane and a guard laying on the floor with a pool of blood. And they flew out. If you don't know who Carl Varnett was, he was a Danish doctor with the rank of uh, SS major who believed he could <laughs> he could uh, correct gay guys by transplanting monkey nuts into <laughs> the gay guys. They all, according to her scrapbook, they all came to South America. We know Varnett was there. I was in what was his clinic in Buenos Aires. I was at his grave, so we know Varnett was there. And so many of the drawings this girl did. <laughs> We've a- been, I've been personally to the sites... And I've seen them mm. myself. They're exactly like this girl yes. drew them. And I wow. held this book in my hand. It weighs maybe 20 pounds. It's a good 9, 10 inches thick. And I've got it. I've got it here on a thumb drive. These people down there wrote a book about it. Amazing. And um. Yeah, and they wanted me to help them publish it. Okay, fine. So they gave me everything on a thumb drive, which I'm looking at right now on my desk. Yes. But it's 1,500 pages. Who the hell buys a 1,500-page book long? long Holy book? cow. It's bigger than yeah, bigger than Manhattan phone book. Did they actually they publish? Did they publish that book already? No, I'm supposed to get it published. Oh. And I keep telling them, 
cut it down, cut it down, you know. You just want to talk about Holdeen and Magda. And uh, this parallels with the story another one of our members told us, who didn't even know these guys. Um, He was five when the war ended. His father was high up in the army and disappeared. His mother took him and they fled to their um, sugar plantation in Bolivia. And Magda ultimately owned a coffee plantation in the same general area in Bolivia. And Hitler, towards the end of his life, he had been living at Magda's coffee plantation. But in January of 62, he came to the plantation that this guy, he uses the name Michael Lehman, which is not his real name. Uh, And Michael said everybody had to line the driveway because Hitler got out of the car in the wheelchair and everybody had to give him the uh, so-called Hitler Gruce, the arm in the air salute. He was there to meet with the manager of the plantation, Fritz Wiedemann, who had been Hitler's commanding officer in World War I. So uh, that was in January of 62, and the month later Hitler died back at that plantation. So this guy, Michael, tells us the whole story. He never even knew these doctors, but then he said that, now I met with him a couple of times. He lives in the U.S. now. And uh, (laughs) he said that his mother and Magda were friends. And they tried to fix him up with Holdeen when they were teens down in South America. He said, but she was a beast. And I've looked at pictures of her. He's right. <laughs> He's right. If anybody tried to fix me up with her, I'd have run like hell too. So two parallel stories, two parallel, two people that never knew each other, and they tell the same story. You can't get more accurate than that. Incidentally, when he was uh, in his teens, he got bucked off his horse, knocked out, broke his arm, and when he came to, Dr. Mengele was setting his broken arm. Well, look. if These are first-person stories. Now, Holdeen, was, was her diary almost 1,500 pages, or was it um, her diary plus some other documentation no, that her, doctors had? That's correct. Her diary plus a bunch more. And unfortunately, uh, they are a little bit off-center here, you know. The, too many, too many, too much usage of the, the term Nazi war criminal, evil Nazi, and this evil Nazi, and that evil Nazi war criminal. I, t- I told him, get this out of the book. You want to tell the story about Holding and her mother and Hitler down there stick to that get rid of oh but that's all important to history yeah we'll write another book you can't clog up a book with 27 different uh, directions so what true i'm supposed to rewrite the book for him i'm i've only been working on it for four years now and i haven't haven't done anything with it wow i mean they yet. sounds like they got enough content to do multiple books so you're right they could break it into multiple areas but yeah that'd be great to see that go into print but um we are live so with if, I, if I wind up with a lot of extra time, I'll do it and then send them the royalties. That's cool. That's cool. Harry, we've got about 15 minutes left. Um, what is on your uh, what is on the chalkboard for this year in terms of expeditions? Where are you going? 
Okay. Um, well, the first expedition, I guess, is in a few hours. I'm on another radio show. Right. Uh, but where we're going, huh? Right. You're going to be on Rinse tonight. What time are you are you going to be broadcasting that people can tune in? Nine o'clock, uh, nine o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. They go to rents.com and over on the left side, uh, it'll say tonight's guests, which probably still has last night's guests. They're a little slow on updating, but yeah, that's it. Nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I'm on for two hours, and we're talking about now Hitler's estate down there in Alco. You know, a lot of stuff happening about that. Yes, in fact. Um I went over to X, uh, previously Twitter, and punched up Abel yeah. Basti's page, and to my surprise, oh, boy. on the top of his page is a picture of an Alco with a construction crew out there. And uh, that's going to be interesting to hear what you have to say tonight on the program. I encourage people to tune in to Rents, go to Rents.com. Hey, when you talk to Jeff, uh, tell if you remember, tell him Omega Man said hello. You know, that guy, Okay, he's one of the OGs. He's been doing... Uh, podcast yeah. radio for probably 35 years. It's amazing. Long I, time. I used Long to listen time. to I've him. been on his show since 2013 every month. You know, an amazing legacy of programs. I used to listen to him going down the highway. Yeah. And it would be late at night. And I was bored <laughs> trying to stay awake. And uh, and I would catch rinse for a while as I was going through a city. And I, just amazing conversations he has. Um, yeah. He's a professional. He is so good at running interviews. Yes. Even I'll look at uh, what I've got to talk about, and I think, geez, it's a two-hour show, and I can only talk for about ten minutes. Next thing I know, the show's almost over, and I haven't touched everything I needed to. He's he's a he's a master at uh, running an interview. He's just excellent. I'd love to do a program with him one day. Uh, maybe uh, he would consider doing a, a show, and you get him on as a guest. Uh, at any rate, uh, where do you want to go this year? Are you going uh, back to Germany? Or any chance you may be going uh, to South America to check out some of these places? For sure, we're going back to Germany. I'm, I'm already starting to send out the uh, the teasers. We're going the last week, I think it's the 21st of September, I'm not positive, to the 5th of October. It's two weeks. And pretty much, uh, uh, well, it's all Bavaria. I don't want to go up to northern Germany because there's nothing close by. Everything is way the hell down the road. Um, and I wind up, if I'm winding up driving, I hate driving in cities. I will not drive in cities anymore. I learned to drive in Chicago's Loop. And I'm a very good driver. But, and well, and as you know, I used to spend Sunday afternoons at 180 miles an hour on the super speedways two inches off another car and that's fine but now we moved out of Chicago many many moons ago we live here in hillbilly heaven in the jungle in the woods in Florida I don't like driving in heavy crowds so if you go to Berlin there's a lot to see in Berlin but then you want to go see um, where the battle uh of Silo Heights took place when the Russians were coming across the Oder River. That's 40 clicks to the east. Okay, fine. You want to go see U-995? That's a hundred, a couple of hundred clicks to the west. You want to go see, you know, everything is all over the damn place. And I, I just, I'm not, you know, if we got enough people to where I have a luxury coach and I can sit up in the right front seat again and 
look out the window and tell people what we're seeing over the microphone, that's fine. But if I have to do it, no. And it's, it's kind of... But now, South America, I'd love to go there in a hurry, but, um, you know, they're still going through this massive inflation. It was 200% inflation heading towards 250, but now with this new president, Mealy, uh, maybe it'll start coming back down. He uh, he looks on Donald Trump as his uh, idol, and so maybe he'll get maybe he'll get the uh, inflation down. But you know, if I if I get reservations now for well, we'll say a hundred dollars, we'll just pick a number out of the air. Who knows what it's going to be like when we get there six months from now? But I want to go down there. I've been in contact with my uh, host down there. <clears throat> and uh, who knows? Who knows? I'll let our members know if we do decide, because we've got a lot of a lot of members chomping at the bit. Argentina is a beautiful country. Buenos Aires is called the Paris of the South. Uh, Argentine beef is some of the best in the world. And your Yankee dollar does kick ass a bit. But there's a lot of periods to dot and T's to cross. Next year, for sure. This year, I'm not sure. Uh, hey, that would be uh, that'd be great for you to get back down to South America and uh, pick up on some of the trails. Uh, there's still mm-hmm. some cases to pursue. Um, what happened to um, Gestapo Mueller? Did he survive in Paraguay? Um, maybe finding some of the descendants of Borman. Who knows what else could be uncovered there? Of course, uh, have you been to Bolivia yet over there and uh, seen any of those locations in your journeys? I know you've been to Paraguay, <clears throat> Uruguay, Argentina, Brazil. Did you ever get over to uh, Chile or Bolivia? Chile, yes. Bolivia, no. And I've only been over the border from uh, uh, Bariloche, <clears throat> over the border to Chile, because they... Uh, have a uh, very super upscale resort called Shao Shao in Bariloche. It's spelled L L A O dash L L A O. How you get Shao Shao out of that is Beats I don't me. know. <laughs> yeah. Ultra high buck. Yeah. And then you just drive maybe 50 miles west. You go over the m- mountain, over the border, and you're into Chile, and there's another ultra high buck wonderful place uh, I forgot the name of it but well I think it, it would be interesting to get over there and check out Colonia Dignidad and we know that we know that location of course uh, Pinochet and the Dina operation they had many uh, camps over there I'm curious if there's any bunkers over there to explore well, that's anybody's guess. But uh, Colonia Dignidad is no longer Colonia Dignidad. It has been de- demilitarized. You know, it was a walled, milit- uh, small village, walled and defended with machine guns. I mean, heavy heavy machine guns. Yeah. They had a tank in there. Nobody could get in or out, and it was all German. It was uh, founded by 300 SS veterans. Um but then they helped Pinochet against Allende 
A lot of El Yende supporters were brought into the compound, but nobody ever saw them leave. Right. But then later on, these SS guys got old. Uh, the guy, I think his name was Heinz Schaefer, but I'm not sure. Schaefer, uh, Schaefer right. though, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Right. He got brought up on charges of pedophilia. Now, whether he did it, and if he did, he deserved punishment, but maybe he didn't do it. Maybe it was just so they could break the back of the place. Now it's... Um, uh, residencia something or another and it's open to anybody no longer it's uh, no longer like it was you know um, but there's other stuff there's an if only I there. had my angels back right that'd be great to go over there and visit that um, in terms of books what are you what are you working on right now what's your next book planned for release uh, we got several of them in the works one is uh uh, lost U-boat photos of World War II. Also, um, the filling stations, gas stations on the high seas. Our American submarines would leave Pearl or Midway or wherever, or Brisbane, and they could go to their AOR, work for a while, and come back eventually after two or three months, and they had enough fuel to go and come back. The German boats didn't. The nines did, but the sevens, and you you find type sevens down in South America. How the hell did they get there? Every, almost every single U-boat, type seven especially, had to be refueled at sea one or two times on every patrol. So it wasn't onesie twosie, it was every dog on one. And they had the type 14, which was called a milk cow. And then they had the Type 10B, which was mine layers, but they converted them to seagoing tankers, too. And these things would just hang around by the Canary Islands or by the uh, Azores. And at a, an assigned time, whatever, they'd pop up, and here comes you number whatchamajigger and you number so-and-so, and they'd hook up the hoses, refuel them, send them on their ways, and then go back down and wait for the next ones. So we've got, thanks to one of our researchers... Uh, Chuck Miles, who was a great researcher, he's got every doggone refueling stop, and we're putting that together with photos. Uh, but the biggest one, we're going pretty heavily on the hidden secrets of World War II because there's so much stuff there. Yes, um, stuff that now you can release because um, the, yeah. the time limit is up that you had to uh, agree to, and they passed on, so... Yeah, I encourage you to keep publishing yeah. this stuff. It's got to get out. You know, it'd be terrible for it to sink beneath the waves of history again. Um, you're doing True. a great job. Um, Thank you. Now, Harry, as we're closing tonight, how can a person make contact with you and uh, learn more about uh, this World War II history and U-boats and um, sign up and become a Shark Hunters member? What's that entitled them to? Uh no, oh, just send me an email, sharkhunters at sharkhunters.com, and say you heard the show. I'll send you um, uh, the current issue, complimentary, and then I'll um, give you all the information you need on how to join, what you get, and you get a lot, and away we go. Fantastic. And you're going to have to sing for a couple of minutes, uh, Shannon, because I have to go refill my coffee cup quickly. Absolutely. I'll be right back. Okay. Folks, um, we're live here with Harry Cooper of SharkHunters.com. Uh, very thankful for the time Harry has given us today to speak about this World War II history that 
you won't learn about anywhere else. It's not in the history books that they teach in school from. But this stuff really happened. And uh, more and more documentation is coming out to support the fact that many uh, got out at the end of the war, including Hitler and Eva Braun, Martin Bormann, Mengele, many others, and went to South America. And I'm very intrigued by this subject. I have been for a number of years. And um, a memory that I uh, really hold dear is back in the early 90s, I called into a G. Gordon Liddy show. Couldn't believe I got through. And they had a uh, ex-Russian KGB officer who had defected, and they opened the lines up. And I asked him the question, does Russia have Hitler's skull fragments? And at the time, he claimed yes, but as it turned out, it wasn't Hitler or a man at all. It was a woman's skull, and that began the right. mystery. Thank, thanks for being patient. I had a delivery guy at the door, too. That's okay. So, um, yeah, Hitler's skull, that was baloney. Hitler's jawbone, that's baloney. Absolutely. You know, um, oh, I do want to ask this question as we uh, get ready to close, and that is uh, there's a, uh, two guys. I want to know if you had come across them or they'd ever been a Shark Hunters member. Uh, do you know the name Peter and Lavinda? He wrote a couple books on the uh, Third Reich. I know the name. and uh, I know the name. I got one of his books that were available on Kindle, and I was really intrigued uh, by a chapter he wrote on an experience where it was in the 70s, a young journalist, he ventures over to, um, I get, where, where is this, Chile, and went up there uh, to Colonia Dignidad. And, man, it was mm-hmm. a hair-raising trip. He actually got up there onto the compound, and um, he describes the, the main entrance, and he said as he pulled in um, in a taxi, no, hardly anybody wanted to take him up there. Everybody knew that there was some stuff up there right. that could be dangerous to your help. And uh, the gate closed behind him, and one of these big, um, uh, like they have it, I've seen him at embassies in Costa Rica. It comes up out of the ground. It's like a pylon to stop any car from oh, yeah. going through. Oh, yeah. What do you call yep. those? You know what I'm talking about. And he said... Uh, I know what you're talking about. They have them all through Germany, too. And I saw one <laughs> where where a car went through. They lowered the pylon for the car to go through. And then a car behind him was going to try to run in, too. But the pylon came up. Bang! It didn't make it through. He gets up there. And lo and behold, Schaefer comes out and uh, a group of others, and they're questioning, what are you doing here? What do you want? And you have to read the story to get all the details out there, folks, but uh, he got out of there with his life, and uh, never went back there. But Yeah, I read I read his report, <laughs> and I, I, they came across a little bit arrogant. Uh, you know, okay, so I was there, so what? And people never come out alive, so what? I did, and, you know, what's the big deal? That was kind of the way it came across. I thought it was uh, an interesting report. But and then, um, oh, okay. What about Kevin Wheatcroft? He is reportedly the largest uh, memorabilia collector of Hitler and World War II memorabilia. Has warehouses full of this stuff. Sleeps yeah. in Hitler's bed. Um, right, and he sleeps. In, he sleeps in Hitler's bed. Right. He used to be a member of Shark Hunters, and uh, but he's got so much money. You know, he's got others. He came by his money. The old-fashioned way. He waited till Dad died, 
and he owns a big racetrack over there, a horse racetrack in England, and God knows, he's worth multi-gazillions of dollars. And he was with us on uh, one of our tours uh, a couple of years ago. Nice fella. <laughs> Instead of flying over like any, everybody else did, he came over with his big monster four-wheel drive Ford pickup truck with overhead lights and racks and everything on it. He came through the channel, and oh. he met with us over on the uh, at the Hotel Zum Turken and the ruins of the Berchtesgaden because he had been there and he found a way into the basement of the Berchtesgaden which is still in existence nobody destroyed the basement they just covered over the entrances he found one that he could get in many yeah. moons ago like an airship yeah I know his name he's a nice guy repelled down it and uh, if I recall the story they pulled out a couple items but uh, it said that there was a bowling alley found down there not not at the house. No, that okay. was uh, just uh, maybe a half a mile away at the SS Caserna, which oh. no longer exists. But um, Bud and Stella Dana went down there in 1988 and videotaped everything. There was a bowling alley. There was a, a rifle range. There was a formal dining room. Amazing. Uh, they went down three levels, but the fourth level was full of uh, water. Couldn't go any further. Could you imagine having your own uh, shooting range in your house? Um, Barbara Mand- Mandrell had a house. I just saw it debuted on uh, YouTube, and it had its own private shooting range. And how yeah. cool is that? Landing pad, you know, stuff like that. Her husband flew a helicopter. <laughs> um, oh, I got to say one more thing before we close. Just prior to the show, I was just relaxing a little bit, flicking YouTube, and I came across a video and stopped. Uh, there's a guy who's on the ground in Paraguay interviewing a community uh, of people. It's 75% German, and then the others are multinationals. Okay. And it's owned by a doctor. Yeah. Uh, he's an Austrian doctor, him and his wife. And they've got a – they built like a uh, an area that's kind of remote for people looking just to, to get out of Dodge, if you will, organic farming, <laughs> horses. Yeah. And they have lots for sale out there for people who want to be part of this community. Um, and it's really, it's not a bad idea what they've got going on out there. I I saw it and uh, I was not surprised, however, that um, it's primarily a German community because uh, Paraguay, is it true, like Argentina and Brazil, the uh, Germans were going in there, what, as far back as the 20s and 30s and have been probably there for 100 years. Communities. From uh, 1905 onward, yeah. Yeah. Um and that's that's in our other book about Hitler's escape called Hitler and the Secret Alliance. It tells how all that happened, how it was possible, and we we follow guys like Mengele, Bormann, and all the rest of them, and we show the houses that they lived in, and we show the photo of the house then and the photo of the house today, and we give the street address of those houses. Oh, that will be an interesting field trip. Go down and check those out. Yeah, And uh, I mentioned what I did because uh, just to illustrate the fact that there is still a thriving community uh, in uh, Paraguay. And I wonder how many of those are, you know, grandchildren, great-grandchildren of uh, some of the Third Reich that came over there at the end of the war. So uh, I'm sure there's a lot oh, of yeah. interesting... There's colonies like that all over South America. Yeah, that's that would be the name of it, a colony. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm... I saw uh, them uh, interviewing on. I think that's kind of interesting. Harry, I want to thank you for coming on. Once again, uh, how do people reach you? Do they go straight to sharkhunters.com? 
Yep, sharkhunters.com. They'll probably <laughs> get intercepted by the Southern Poverty Law Center, the Spitlickers as we call them, and they have posted on their site that I'm a neo-Nazi. And uh, Ronald Reagan was a member. He didn't think he belonged to some Nazi outfit. And uh, the Medal of Honor winning submarine commanders, etc. So anyhow, go to sharkhunters.com. Everything is there. And if you have any questions, go to sharkhunters at sharkhunters.com. Say you've uh, heard the show today, and I'll send you the uh, current issue of the magazine uh, by Internet. Absolutely free. Harry, as always, what an honor to have you on, my friend. God bless you, and uh, continue the research. Keep it coming, my friend. All right, always a pleasure. Let's not make it so long. Absolutely not. I'll send you a copy of tonight's show later today, and uh, I owe you some others as well. And be in touch with you soon. Okay. Thank you, my friend, for coming on today. My pleasure. God bless you, and have a great day. You too. Have a great show tonight. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That was Harry Cooper, SharkHunters.com. Yes, uh, he's going to be on Rents, R-E-N-S-E, R-E-N-S-E.com, Jeff Rents, uh, tonight, and talking about uh, a place that is believed to have been the the one of the houses of Hitler in Argentina on Lake Wapi called Inalco. And I just saw a photograph of this thing, uh, and it had been kind of laying in an abandoned state, but there's a construction crew in there. There's a backhoe. Someone has already put on new roofing, and uh, it's looking nice. Somebody's bought this thing. It's way out in the middle at that time of nowhere. Now they've got a road that you can drive out there right up to it, but it's on the um, it's on the lake, and there, of course, are places that, uh, as you approach this from the water, there's a watchtower and a place that the uh, that the SS would have had a machine gun nest up there to, you know, take people out that aren't uh, cleared to make their way up there back in the day. So I think there's a lot of credence. Definitely somebody very important lived there. In all likelihood, it was none other than Adolf himself uh, for a while, and then he had to uh, go into hiding in other locations. Ultimately, ending up somewhere over there in. Uh, uh, I guess it's Bolivia, where he died in 1962. Now, that's the best information we have. Very different from what you're going to hear in school books or history. Uh, Very interesting. You know, why do we have to be lied to? Why can't people just be honest and, you know, let the truth come out and let the chips fall they may? Why? Because of a lot of people that would have an egg on their face when they have to admit to what they did and uh, alliances during the war, and afterwards. Okay, that's all the time we got for this show. We're going to be back tonight at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern. Hope to see you then. Uh, we're going to have Gary Stafford and the guest. We're going to have first-time guest Matt Monarch. Speak my word, we'll have Doug Perry tonight. And um, with that, I still owe you all the programs from last night. Thank you for tuning in. Thank those... I want to thank those who have supported this program to fuel these shows. If you'd like to come on board and help us, go to OmegaManRadio.com. All right, folks, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. Um, always enjoy some of these departures into history, true history, um, that you're not going to hear anywhere else in the mainstream. 
been suppressed. Okay, thank you folks. We'll see you next time. God bless.